Sequence is loading. I find this scientifically fascinating. Are you ready? Relax. Breathe. Enjoy. Move it. Denny Craig. Move it. Alright, everybody. Walk and love. From Forest Rain Studios, the home of Boston-Legal.org, I'm Dana Greenlee, and you're connected to a special presentation of the Boston Legal Podcast. This one I like to call the Parallel Universe Trek in the Courtroom. We'll come out with periodic special presentations like this one, and today we're going to look at the real or imagined parallels between Boston Legal and Star Trek. There's an avid community of viewers that discuss Interesting parallels that pop up now and again within each episode, and we try and pull these together for you and present them. A lot of this information will be chronicled further at the website boston-legal.org forward slash Star Trek. One person, a friend of boston-legal.org that's been keeping me appraised of a lot of the parallels, is with me right now on the phone. In fact, she emailed me a lot of good information, and I said, you know, we're going to have you on the phone to talk about it so everyone can enjoy your commentary. And we're here right now with her, Deb from Montreal. Deb is a secretary for a communication manufacturing firm in Montreal, Canada, and she had some interesting insight into not just uh, Schadenfreude, but actually the whole run of Boston Legal, and I just... I couldn't convey that myself. I needed to get her on the phone to talk about it. So, well, first of all, welcome, Deb. Thank you, Dana. Thank you so much. I appreciate for your, ta- your we, call. You're taking time out of the middle of your day, and I appreciate that too. And I know everybody's going to be fascinated to hear some of the the takes that you have on. I guess. Well, let's just let you set it up. Now, you actually started watching Boston Legal because of the character of 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 Danny Crane, and as portrayed by uh, William Shatner, who has always been a, a, a fascinating uh, uh, entertainer slash actor for me to watch throughout his career. So he's also from Montreal. Oh, is he? Oh, I, didn't, I do originally, remember he's Yes, originally he was born in Montreal. Well, now, so you've been a bit of a Star Trek fan, right? Uh, I would say that there, I have certainly favorite episodes and moments in Star Trek, which I, I, I enjoy over and over. <laughs> The um, nut of your email was comparing Star Trek to Boston Legal, which I think the obvious, everybody knows the character. You know, Star Trek is William Shatner and, of course, Boston yeah. Legal, Denny Crane. And but, Rennie Aubergenois, who was Odo in the, uh, in the Deep Space Nine series. Good. All right. Now, there are more similarities than I was even aware of. Well, you know, not so much a Star Trek background as a William Shatner background. I mean, first of all, he's uh, co-starred with a lot of these people before, including Heather Locklear and uh, Candace Bergen. And uh, but uh, specifically with you know Star Trek, I find that in some of the episodes, there's these little nuggets that nuggets that <laughs> creep up uh, every so often, which sort of send up my Star Trek antenna. Uh, for instance, in the Short and Freud episode, uh, he mumbles to Alan Short in the courtroom after the cop makes his testimony and says, well, there's one cop who will never make a captain. And, you know, it's only a Star Trek reference, but it's also a T.J. Hooker reference because of the cop and the captain in the same sentence. And I don't call that coincidence. You know, mm-hmm. I, I find that too coincidental. Why would he say a cop never make captain at that moment in court? I think that's wonderful. Yeah, so that 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 was the the most recent one that I've seen, and there are a few moments that aren't actually 
in, in phrases, but in, in scenes. You know, we can go back to Star Trek being famous for actually portraying the first interracial kiss on television. Uh, and that was between Captain Kirk and Uhura. And then later on, it was the, it was notable because it was the first interracial kiss. That's right. And then, of course, you see it again with Spader and Shalina. In Death Be Not Proud last season. In Death Be Not Proud, the season ender. Which, it may have been an obvious reference or not, but I like to think that it is. Well, <laughs> given the run of examples that you do have, the proponents of the the evidence seems to be that there is some underlying theme here. And how brilliant of David E. Kelly to pull in some of these instances well, he knows, you know, if, you know, in the history of Star Trek, um, you know, when they canceled the original series, there was an incredible fan writing uh, campaign that went on that brought the show back into syndication for its third season so they can go into syndication and, and to be uh, more clear. There was um, a lot of phrases that were used in Star Trek, like lock and load. You know, that's one of Kirk's favorite. And then now Did he use lock and load in Star Trek? Yes. Oh, my God. I had no idea. Yeah, that was one of the lock and load was something that Kirk had said. And I don't think it was actually in the series. It may have been one in, in one of the movies, oh. but I'd have to go find it. And lock and load is used by um, McCoy and uh, another character in Star Trek. Even, I think, I didn't even think Spock said it once. But, or, or no, 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 data, data, data in, 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 in the next generation. How fabulous if we could get a bunch of sound bites together of all those men saying lock and load. Yeah. But the, the letter rating campaign shows how fiercely uh, loyal the Star Trek fans are. And I think David E. Kelly knows that if he can attract a percentage of those fans who are, you know, absolutely extreme fans of the Star Trek characters and references, mm-hmm. that he can bump his numbers up. Oh, yeah. Uh, anything that it takes. Now, you actually, not everything is spoken. There's some visuals of similarities. I think you mentioned something about the balcony, didn't you? Yeah, the balcony scene where you see the, you know, the actual color of the, the chairs and, and their, their boxy type construction is, is, is very, you know, reminiscent of the, 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 the captain's chair. Uh, on the bridge of the original Enterprise. And later on, there wasn't just a chair for the captain, but also a chair for his first officer. So, you know, and they were white. <laughs> they were white. And then there, are, yeah, the chair's not the people. <laughs> yeah. They were too. Yeah. So you see this on the balcony scene as, you know, you know, Captain Kirk and um, Spock, you know, captain and first officer, and it's Benny Crane and Alan Shore. See, and that segues perfectly into some of the similarities that's, that Shore seems to be with one of the other characters of Star Trek. Why don't you explain that? He always um, presents himself as very unemotional. You know, he, he masks his emotions. Mm-hmm, we saw it in Schoedenfreude when he sees Tara with Malcolm, and he basically is wordless, but you, you can see him trying to hide his emotions and, mm-hmm. and struggle with that. Spock, of course, uh-huh. being half Vulcan and half human, you know, it was always said that Vulcans have no emotions, but later on it comes out that because Spock is half human, he has only suppressed his emotions and therefore he's only camouflaging them at all times. Ah, just like Alan Shore. Just like Alan Shore. In fact, yeah, um, yeah that, that's right. I think you went a little further and said that there's like the devil side of... Vulcan. Well, you know, you, you, they, they, they had to tone down Spock's makeup in the very beginning because a lot of people, or the initial audience reaction was that it was too uh, Lucifer-like. Ah, interesting. Or too devil-like. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, he has, you know, the good side, bad side struggle, uh, visually, um, Spock does. And Alan Shore, too, being that morally ambiguous character... He also struggles internally. And again, in the last episode of Shorty Ford, you know, did we get justice? 
you know, and he's not sure. That's true. Another similarity with um, one of the, I guess I should say, the family in Star Trek. Why don't you explain? Uh, I don't know if I can say it right. Serac? Is that correct? Serac. Serac being the father of Spock. And Serac was a most loved character. And he his demise was a very slow uh, mental um, illness that caused him to go gradually mad up until the day, you know, until he passes away. And he tries to work as an ambassador to the very, very end of his career. So just like exactly Danny like Crane, Danny Crane, who is, you know, where, you know, has this beginnings of Alzheimer's. I think in season one, he mentions plaque on my brain, which is a symptom of Alzheimer's. And then later on, he, he gets a little delusional and begins to think he has mad cow because <laughs> it was the topic of the day. And it's probably a lot more palatable. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, it's a lot more sensational to, to think that he has something as rare and exotic as mad cow as opposed to being just regular, you know, run of the mill Alzheimer's, which, you know, <laughs> for Danny Crane, he'd rather have the rare exotic. <laughs> I'm sure. I love it. Another uh, sort of thing that Denny Crane is known for is his womanizing. Well, that's not just um, something that Denny Crane has experienced, right? One of his other characters. Kirk uh, was known for being a womanizer, although I can have I can show you websites that will disprove that theory. Oh, <laughs> there are see? people who say that he never he actually there was only one real kiss oh. that was actually shown and the rest was just sort of like hinted at but never really happened kind of thing. It's an it's, urban legend that, that Kirk It's an urban legend, yes. But really his he had an allure to a lot of women, you know, uh, on and off the screen. So I think that it's true to say that Denny Crane also, you know, is finds, you know, all these women alluring and some of them are attracted back in, you know, in a power mm-hmm. capacity because he is a powerful man. And actually, uh, I think you even brought it maybe a little bit of a stretch, but a name similarity. Yes. You know, like, you know, James T. Kirk in its syllables and initials, as well as Denny Crane. It has the same sort of sharp, short K, Crane, yeah. Kirk. It kind does. of sound to it, you know. It's, it's a name that you know almost commands authority, and especially if you abbreviate Den, Denny from D E N N Y to D E N capital E apostrophe Denny Crane. Weird, yes, I can yeah. see visually on the paper it does. And you said that this is sort of significant in the Star Trek circles. So this isn't just your opinion. This is something that's been discussed. Well, well, look, Denny Crane, David E. Kelly. <laughs> There's another one. That's well, amazing. It's got a, it's got a sort of like a triage or a triangle reference there. Triangle. Yeah, and Star Trek fans will pick up on that because they will pick up on every single detail of every single short, and they will tell you every single inconsistency, way beyond what I could tell you. But yeah, they, so they, there they, are they, discussions online about this very thing. Is that right? Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm sure that at some conventions it comes down to fisticuffs. <laughs> 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 I, you know, this is like a whole new world opening up. This is fantastic. Well, what do you think? Do you think David E. Kelly would like to know that the fans of Star Trek are picking up on these these uh, running threads? I think he knows. Okay. All he has to do is go to William Shatner's website and see how many crossover fans on the, William Shatner's website that are both fans of both shows. Shatner.com, of course. Uh, yeah, Shatner. And the message board in particular is where you'll see a lot of... Not, this, not this so thing. much, really, but, you know, in and around the Star Trek circles, yeah, mm-hmm. you will see a lot of references. A lot of people who are fans of Captain Kirk are, uh, are fans of Denny Crane, and the similarities are there, and the attraction is the same. 
Okay, Deb, I'm going to ask you to expose even more geekiness when it comes to Star Trek. You mentioned something that I actually don't know anything about. So educate us all about the, and I'm not going to say it, the Kobayashi? The Kobayashi yes. Maru. All right. Apparently, um, when Kirk was taking his captain's test, there's a test of character called the Kobayashi Maru in which he has to take his ship into an unwinnable situation. And it's how it's a test of character to show how, how a captain would face death. Mm-hmm. But, you know, during his final exam at Starfleet or something like this, he rigs the program so that the it's an actually, it becomes a winnable situation. He cheats at this test. <laughs> okay. And he has never faced death and it is his weakness throughout the show. The Kobayashi Maru is the, his desire to win at all costs. I, that sounds familiar. And Alan Shore and Danny Crane will win at all costs. They will rig it. Okay. They will not lose. And it was the essence of Captain Kirk. His essence, actually. Yeah. So he wasn't this uh, moral, ethical icon. No, he bent the rules. Captain Kirk bent the rules all the way through his career. He bent the rules with regard to the prime directive, which means non-interference in other worlds. That's he, true. He, built, he, he bent the rules with regard to time travel. <laughs> or actually, the time travel directive came because of his shenanigans of going around in and out of time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, really showing how much I shouldn't know. <laughs> no, this is called education. This is actually Professor Deb is now educating everybody, you know, exactly yeah. the history and the similarities. And I Well, it. the one I love the best uh, is David Marcus. David Marcus was, was Captain Kirk's son, who he never knew he had a son, oh. okay, until he comes marching back in his life during one of the movie episodes, which I believe was the uh, the search for Spock. Mm-hmm. You know, because he has to hook up with his his ex scientist uh, girlfriend, lover, wife, and then he finds out that he, she actually had a child by him by the that's name right. of you know David Marcus, and that's Donnie Crane. <laughs> it is so true. He comes marching in, and now is there similar? Donnie Crane has taken after his father, wants to be like his father in some yeah. ways. Is that was that the same with David Marcus? David Marcus never says so himself. Okay, but his mother, uh, Carol Marcus, says, I didn't want him traipsing around the universe like you. Uh, I wanted him in my life, not yours. And it sounded like she had maybe had to convince him of that, the, her son. So right. her son and, and, wanted to. You know, and David Marcus was at odds with you know, Captain Kirk, uh, uh, his father, because he wasn't there in his life mm-hmm. and really didn't know about it. Like, David didn't know that Captain Kirk was his father and Donnie Crane is kind of reverse, you know, didn't know that Danny Crane was not his father, but in the same respect, they were both brought up as, you know, these sons that would never were really, they never got to enjoy the, you know, the growing up period. Right. They just came into their life as adults. Fascinating. Although, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of like some parallels really that, you know, if you're a fan of both shows, you might pick up on. Let's talk a little bit about the characters of Star Trek and the actual characters of Boston Legal. What's another similarity? The, the rapport that they have, okay, is so reminiscent of some of the rapport between, you know, Spock and McCoy, the drinking buddy, mm-hmm. or the, the physician, or, you know, the person who always has the emotional outburst and, you know, the portraying humanity, Dr. McCoy. Well, I'm beginning to see that the Spock uh, McCoy Kirk uh, trio is starting to develop in Shirley Schmidt 
uh, Alan Shore and, and Denny Crane, and I, I figured out Crane is Kirk, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that Spader is Spock. But I was wondering, who's the third person? And it came to me in Finding Nemo that it, it's going to be Candace Bergen, whether she likes it or not. <laughs> because, you know, the, the dialogue that she had to uh, say to uh, Betty White's character mm-hmm. about losing her spirituality and not having that taken away from her and convincing her to confess on the grounds of humanity. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be McCoy's take on things or spin on things if he was confronting either Kirk or Spock. And uh, he would always bring up, you know, not the science or, you know, uh, of what they were discussing, but the actual humanity of it. He was always the person to ground them in humanity. And I think Candace Bergen just might be uh, the third uh, spoke in that wheel. Uh, that's true. You need a perfect trio to balance everybody out. And, that, yeah. and Spock was a balance, but McCoy was the humanity, as you so well put. That was an aha moment. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, because, you know, um, you know, she, she was the one to convince Betty White, even though you could probably get away with this from a, the, the lack of evidence, okay, you don't want to because it's your own soul at stake. Very That's good. the hum, human uh, element. And so she, she convinces her to go to the police and confess. I see, you know, these kind of similarities that always sort of, like I said, put my Star Trek antenna up. And mm-hmm. if I was probably an even bigger Star Trek fan than I am, you know, uh, than like some people are, they could probably, you know, reference almost every little thing, you know, because okay. they're that detailed-oriented. Deb, there's some other similarities, too, in um, Star Trek and Boston Legal, and the not the least of which is guest stars that have been... We talked a little bit about um, Paul Lewiston, Renee, being on both shows, but someone else from the first two episodes... Bernard Ferian. Yes. Yes, and, and, and I didn't know that. It's just uh, I was doing a little cross-referencing, and I came across that tidbit, and I said to myself, oh, my gosh. And you mentioned to me that before uh, Boston Legal, there was the practice where John Larroquette uh, also um, mm-hmm. had a guest appearance, and John Larroquette was a very famous Klingon in one of the Star Trek movies. Just to reference Leslie Jordan, that's Bernard Ferian's, um, episode, do you remember what you told me? It was what episode it was in? Uh, and who he played? I can tell you if it slipped your mind. <laughs> yeah, it has actually. So you go ahead. So it was in the episode Cole. Am I saying that right? K-O-L-L? And it was back in, um, let's see, season three, I believe. Okay. And, and was it Star Trek, the original series? No, it's Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, I'm Star sorry, Star Trek, Trek Voyager. Star Trek season Voyager. Season three, which was in 96. And you yeah. told me that the Episode title was False Prophets, and that's Leslie Jordan, a Star Trek ah, alumni. Yes. yes, <laughs> Some, yes. And he must have played a Ferengi then. He's small enough to be a Ferengi. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Well, actually, just recently, this past summer, unfortunately, James Dewan passed away. And, that's right. And there's a very poignant similarity there. Yes. Want to share? Yes, uh, Mr. Duhan uh, suffered from Alzheimer's disease, and uh, he made uh, guest appearances at Star Trek conventions up to the very, very end. Amazing. Yeah, and I know that, <clears throat> um, according to the web blogs out there, that he and Shatner were close when they first met and did Star Trek, had a falling out for many years, and then became friends again during his later years, which was a, a, a good thing, I suppose, mm-hmm. that they... You know, they didn't end up, uh, he didn't pass away with them not reconciling their friendship. Mm-hmm. But I think in some ways, 
Denny Crane having Alzheimer's is almost like a tribute to his friend. Mm-hmm. As he, he plays a man in his senior years with diminishing mental capabilities. Also, Deb, of course, there's a, another much more personal and tragic situation that happened a few years ago to William Shatner's wife and and another similarity to something that happened in The Black Widow to that. There there was William Shatner, uh, his wife, Noreen, I believe it was his third wife. Uh, he came home one evening to find her drowned in their pool. Mm-hmm. And uh, he made the 911 call yeah. uh, to report it. And that call was played back over the news media ad nauseum. You could hear the distress and the panic in his voice. Until the police ruled out foul play, he was actually a, a suspect himself. Shocking. And then similarities with the Black Widow in that uh, Kelly Nolan, who was played by Heather Locklear, is in a situation where her husband has been... It's not sure whether he died from foul play or died from his own hand. Mm-hmm. But the 911 call that she makes is in very stark contrast to what, you know, a, a real-life 911 call that William Shatner made. Her her call was cool and collected, or calm and collected. And William Shatner hosted the 9... West, was it called 911 or Rescue 911? I think you read Rescue 911, yeah. Rescue 911. He hosted that show for several seasons, three maybe. And, you know, he's very familiar with 911 protocols. It must have been hard for him to play that role, <laughs> indeed, because it sh- sure it could have brought back brought mem- back memories to me as a spectator. For him personally, it must have been you know, difficult to do. I'm glad he was surrounded by an old friend, Heather Locklear, and they seem to be. And when the behind the scenes videos that you have seen, she seems to be laughing it up with him a bit. So that probably was a little easier. Yeah, because she's a she's a CJ Hooker alumni, so I think they know that each other you know fairly well and. But uh, so the the poignant moments in in Boston Legal are, are offset by the humorous ones. It's a nice balance. Well, Deb, will you be our Star Trek slash Boston Legal correspondent and make note of future episodes? <laughs> well, I have some homework for you, Dana. Okay, I want you to look up the Forty Seven Society. All right. On the website, okay, because I cannot even begin. <laughs> I look at the Star Trek connection. Okay, and I'm sure there's going to be a Boston Legal Connections. So it's a website. It's called the 47th Society. You can Google it, okay. or I'll send you the uh, the link a little bit later, and and you will laugh. Okay, you will absolutely laugh at how obsessive <laughs> it is out there. And so I have no fear about Boston Legal. You know, uh, uh, continuing on for many series as long as um, David E. Kelly keeps up the clever. Uh, writing and uh, the brilliant casting. I just wanted to make one comment on, you know, the new cast members. You know, I just love that Garrett guy. Oh, really? That's good. Oh, he's, he's so cute. He is pretty adorable. <laughs> Those big old eyebrows. <laughs> oh, he's just, you know, he's just going to be the little instigator. I can see it now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was kind of hoping that Brad would be his mentor, but I think it may be more sure, you know. He's I don't know to- about that. I, 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 I would wait for that one. You know, I know, I know that... Um, Sometimes there are, you know, characters written together that you intend to, but then rapport develops that you never expected to. Yeah. It becomes a more natural road towards uh, developing characters. I think, you know, Boston Legal, with with those kind of changes, has to, you know, get a few episodes under their belt. And they have already. I mean, mm-hmm. they're already taped. That's true. You and know, as David E. Kelly 
has uh, famously been quoted. He said that casting is is an art, and it, you have to actually let the chemistry develop it over time. You can't hire chemistry. So, can I leave you my with my wish list? Yes, I want to hear about that. Okay, my wish casting list wish is list. for is is a romantic interest for Danny Crane in the actress Joan Collins. Oh. Okay, when because there was this unremitting love scene that happened in Star Trek between Captain Kirk and Edith Keeler as portrayed by Joan Collins. Wow. You know, and I'd love for her to come back with that one line that she had in that show, that episode called The City on the Edge of Forever. Wow. And it, yes. And, and, you know, you should try and catch it just for curiosity's sakes. She says, a lie is a very poor way to say hello. Wow. And it was a powerful line and, you know, really one of her tremendous roles. Unlike anything, she doesn't, you know, the complete opposite of the bad girls that she's always portrayed or the damsels in distress that she's always portrayed in her later career. This was truly a sumptuous role for her. <laughs> Do you see her uttering that line to Denny Crane or to Alan Shore? Either. Because both of them are adept at the lie. Yeah. <laughs> to say hello. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Oh, that is a dream cast. In fact, you actually mentioned somebody else in your email. I would, I think a lot of people would like to see cast in a guest starring role. And it's a person that you see very similar to Alan Shore. Who's that? John Larry Kett. Well, no, I, I mentioned John Larry Kett. Sometimes when I'm watching James Spader and I look at him, I see some facial expressions, which just has Christopher Walken jumping into my mind. Mm -hmm. But when he gets playful, and he gets into those little antics mm -hmm. and those little, you know, uh, how can I say, uh, deviant sexual innuendos that, you know, are peppering all his lines. He reminds me of John Larry Cat. Yes, from Night Court, of course. And from Night Court. But also from The Practice. A very also from The Practice. Right. So I see, you know, you know, the way he, when, when, when Alan Shore gets little boy, I see <laughs> John Larry Cat. You know, or I, I hear it or I... I feel it. I don't. I don't actually see it. They they don't physically resemble one another, okay. But it's it's some of the mannerisms and some of the you know the antics. You know, especially when Alan Shore uh, stoops so low as to show up in you know Santa Claus suits and costumes and shows up with you know his entourage of very unique. Friends, Batman and and the hooker, Catwoman, and <laughs> then I then I see then I just it, it just sends me back to you know uh, to the John Larroquette show at Night Court and and you know those kind of uh, antics that he was he was famous for and sometimes you know shocked. Sure. Well, you know we already know that David E. Kelly birthed the character that John Larroquette obviously played on The Practice, which was a wonderfully witty homicidal lawyer, right? Am I right on that? Well, I'm going to tell you, Gay Dana, as well. I never watched The Practice ah. because I don't watch television per se. <laughs> I watch <laughs> Oh, you Jeopardy. don't sound like that at all. <laughs> no, I, I actually, I watch Jeopardy. I used to watch The West Wing, but now I've substituted that with uh, Boston Legal. And the only other show that I watch is a Canadian comedy called Corner Gas. Hmm. It's really all that, you know, it's not so much that I, 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 I don't watch television is. You have your I have it. 
Well, no, I have two daughters, and they're in figure skating, or at least my elder one is still in figure skating, and she's a competitor. She's 16, and I'm working on getting her her driver's license, so I don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so yeah, so so I don't really watch a lot of television, but my Boston Legal is my show not to miss. Well, and name your favorite scene from Boston Legal. Oh, there's the cookie scene, you know, when Betty White first comes comes aboard, which I, I, I kind of, you know, really thought it was funny, but it was the episode where... Spader introduces Crane to the hooker with the wooden leg. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I I don't know if I ever laughed so hard in my entire life, and I I laughed so hard I was actually crying. Oh. He allured to it in the show, but you didn't actually think David E. Kelly was going to actually bring this in at the as, as you know the last scene, which which floored me. I mean, it did. It was the one scene that that, that kind of made me fell in love with the entire oh. cast. You know, and since that was the ending scene of that episode, was that uh, one of the few episodes without a balcony scene? Instead, it took place in his office, waltzing with the one-legged hooker. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and, you know, it's unique in that, that point, too. I love the balcony scene. You know, I, I, uh, I do replay uh, Boston Legal a couple of times. One, because I always get a phone call <laughs> to interrupt it. So I tape the show and then I always watch it again with my daughter because she skates that night and, and can only watch it on, on, on tape. So I usually get to watch it two or three times. Oh, after, so. the mark of an excellent show is in great writing is one that you have to watch repeatedly. This is one of them. I mean, you watch I'm it again. I'm dying and you pick up for things. the DVD to come out. Oh. From your word, uh, from your mouth to the DV manufacturer's ears. Right? Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, I hooked up to Amazon, Don Cotton, where you know you say, you know, please notify me when this DVD is available. Hey, I, I used to work for Amazon. I know that's just a marketing ploy to get your email address. <laughs> it's a matter of. Oh, I don't mind. Yeah, but yeah. but you're right. You'll know when it comes out because they want to sell it to you. But, yeah, because I will buy it. I mean, that's certainly you know one of the things that I want to have in my collection. I aside think, from uh, Star Trek movies and everything. <laughs> 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 my husband, my husband and I, uh, you know, uh, both enjoy Star Trek uh, tremendously. You know, we have a good time uh, watching it. You know, we we can make a a marathon day on a rainy day and watch all five movies. <laughs> 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 or, or you know, or, or, or you know, we we catch the episodes uh, when we're up very, very late, and uh, there's nothing else on. There's always a Star Trek somewhere to be found. Always. Hey, now, Deb from Montreal, you live in Shatner's hometown, and you shared with me off mic a little interesting coincidence about you personally. <laughs> Why don't you share yeah. that with everyone? Okay, I had to take a couple of classes at night. Uh, to get into the college program that I had signed up for. And these courses were given by, at the time, it was called Prep School. And it was located in NDG, which is a suburb of Montreal, uh, annexed to Montreal, actually. And it was the uh, residence of the Shatner family uh, a long time ago. So the school where the classes were held is in Shatner's old home. Right. When Shatner was a, presumably a young man or you know living at home. Yeah, I'm not sure if he was actually living at home or if it was his parents' place, but oh. it was the residence of the Shatners. And you actually saw a little plaque of that, didn't you? It was a, it was a, it was a paper in a frame on the wall, <laughs> with you know, kind of like uh, you know, saying that you know, former residence of William Shatner and family, something so, like that. What is the demeanor of the city with Shatner? I mean, people generally, you know, love their native son. Yeah. Yes. Do you get that impression? It's a working class neighborhood to begin with, but it's gotten you know quite pricey <laughs> neighborhood as. Real estate gets gobbled up here in Montreal. It's a lovely tree-lined street, a uh, quiet street called Girard, and the homes are uh, duplexes, 
and they have those really high ceilings and all wood uh, staircase banisters floors type of uh, place and it has that uh, it smells like a library <laughs> <laughs> not a bad thing I worked in libraries for a couple a decade at least so, yeah. I would have never been able to know <laughs> <laughs> there is one little thing that I'd like to add though yes. but it's not track okay it's all in the family hmm. and the scene the bunking scene was so reminiscent of Archie Bunker and Meathead when they had to sleep in the same bed together <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw the All in the Family episode, but this was the older man being Archie Bunker telling his son-in-law, you know, left sock on, left sock, right sock on, left shoe on, right shoe on. And then they, you know, he shows them how to get in bed. And if you have gas, you have to sort of like, you know, wave the blankets. And (laughs) (laughs) And then it was hysterical. And this was so reminiscent of that particular scene. Uh, and if you ever catch uh, All in the Family on one of those um, uh, review channels, uh, that is an episode not to miss. It, it will leave you in stitches. That's great. Well, Deb, <laughs> thank you so much for all this. This has been enlightening. I enjoyed it. And I want you back on again to report more uh, from the observations of Deb from Montreal. <laughs> observations. You know, I, I got to listen to the podcast with Kyle mm-hmm. yesterday or the day before. And I said, it was just so fascinating. I was sitting here doing all my paperwork, the paperwork that I don't use my computer for. And and I was listening to it and I said, you know, there was so many insights that I said, gee, you know, I, I got a few of my own that I haven't actually seen show up anywhere. And I thought that maybe I would, you know, just let you in on them so that I could share them with somebody. <laughs> oh, we're the three of us, Kyle, Deb, Dana, we're not the only ones that love the, the six degrees or one degree, the connections, the, the similar co-stars and the hidden meanings. Everybody loves those, but not everybody's aware of them. So we'll do our best to report those, right? Yes, we will. (laughs) Thank you very much. And I'm going to look forward to talking to you again. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you very much for listening to this special presentation of the boston-legal.org podcast, the one where we talk about the parallel universe Trek in the cart room. Make a mental note to go check out boston-legal.org forward slash Star Trek. Check out the audio files, some pictures, and a lot of commentary on similarities. If you have any information that come to mind, feel free to drop me an email at bostonillegal at gmail.com. Again, this is Dana Greenlee, and I'll see you around the net. I find this scientifically fascinating. It's a real thing. A radio signal from another world. I've died many times. Can we talk about something other than sex? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, now. Bye-bye. 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 I want to see motion, movement. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay? Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Computer, discontinue program.